Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. ES Audio. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm Mark Blunden and this is The Leader. Another day, another train strike as thousands of railway workers walk out, leaving only a fifth of services running and half of lines closed. It's the sixth bout of such industrial action this year as members of the RMT, TSSA and Unite Unions, who work for Network Rail and 14 rail operators, take to the picket lines in a dispute over pay and working conditions. It's also had a knock-on effect, leaving reduced services on some tube lines. But guess what? It's not over. There's a tube strike on Friday. And now RMT General Secretary Mick Lynch says they're dug in for a war of attrition that's feared to drag on into the new premiership of Liz Truss or Rishi Sunak. Now there's a real concern over a winter of industrial action, coupled with worries about surging energy prices and inflation now topping 10%. And sorry for more bad news, but in the immediate term, there's another rail strike scheduled for Saturday. So do get your plan B and plan C sorted if you're travelling. Well, we're in the same position. We're going to work intensively with Network Rail on some detailed plans that they've got. Um, But we've still got a massive gap to get across between us. The the money offer is not adequate. It's underpriced against inflation. And it underprices the productivity changes that they they want to achieve. That's Mick Lynch speaking to the Evening Standard's transport editor, Ross Lydell, outside Euston Station. Well, we don't have a time limit. We don't sit down with a strategy board and say it will start then and finish on this date. It's when the deal matures and when we've got an offer that we can put to our members for them to consider and they will decide when the dispute is over, uh, when there's a package that they want to accept. At the moment, there isn't an end date uh, and we will consider what we've got to do next week following this phase of action and following further discussions with the companies. And for the other side of this dispute, here's Network Rail Chief Executive Andrew Haynes. So a very limited service for passengers, hugely frustrating, limited hours of operation, and then about a fifth of services running overall. I hope this is the the last day, but in practice, Saturday strikes look pretty inevitable and strikes obviously with TfL in between uh, tomorrow. Um, We want to keep talking to the RMT, but more than anything else, we want them to put the deal that we've put on the table to a referendum of their members, because we think that's the best way to unlock this action. And how long does he think this will drag on for? It could go on a very long time, I think, there is because it hits to the fundamentals about how affordable the railway is. If we were to offer more money, it would come at the expense of higher fares or higher taxation 
or fewer jobs. And Ross joins us now. So what's the atmosphere been like in the mainline stations? Last Friday afternoon, I was in Euston Station with my daughter about to board a train to Scotland for the weekend. And it was the typical situation that many will be familiar with. The concourse is completely rammed. With about three minutes to go, you get the announcement of which platform your train is leaving from. And it's sheer bedlam. There's about 500 people dragging suitcases and rucksacks head towards the same platform. This morning, I was there at 7am and I think it was me, three security guards, 16 passengers and uh, 45 pigeons. It was very eerie, shall we say, Uh, you know, at that sort of time in the morning, normally you'd expect to see the commuter rush start, um, you know, the early birds coming in, things quite bustling. Many of the shops around the concourse hadn't even bothered to open today. Uh, So it was very quiet. However, it is fair to say, though, that actually slightly more trains today were running than on previous strike days Network Rail estimates that about 20% of services will be in operation between around sort of 7.30am and 6.30pm. When I left Euston Station to come to the Evening Standard offices mid-morning, there were roughly seven trains an hour due to depart from the station, which is obviously far fewer than you would see on a normal day. Could you break down for us what this strike is over and what the various positions are at the moment? The dispute that involves the RMT and Network Rail and about 14 of the so if you like the privatised rail firms is primarily over pay. The RMT is seeking a pay rise that essentially keeps pace with inflation. The problem is that inflation can't keep pace with itself. It keeps going up. We're now looking, you know, just the other day, it was around 10% for CPI inflation. The RPI rate is even higher. And the Bank of England forecasts that inflation could be around 13 or 14% in a month or two's time. So in that context... The RMT is seeking a cost of living rise for its members and not just for this year, but also for last year when it said there was no pay award and for next year. Now, Network Rail has offered in its sense 8%. uh, The RMT said that that is not the correct figure. It says essentially that it boils down to a 4% pay rise in one year, a 4% pay rise the next year, but essentially that has to cover three years because it includes the time that no pay rise was awarded at all. There's also a bit of argy-bargy between the two sides over whether lower paid workers actually get more than the average worker. Network Rail says the deal is worth 13% to lower paid workers. The RMT disputes that. There are also linked issues about uh, working conditions and uh, the way that the industry performs. There's a wider desire by Network Rail and the government to modernise many practices that it says are outdated in the industry and that essentially are time intensive and are uh, requiring potentially more staff than might otherwise be the case. Of course, the RMT is saying that it doesn't want to see any job losses. Network Rail says, actually, we've promised no compulsory redundancies, so no one will lose a job, but we do have to modernise practices. So there's primarily a pay dispute, but also other terms and conditions have been chucked into the melting pot too. Let's go to the ads. Stay there to hear more from Ross on what the winter holds on the railways. Why not hit rate and follow in the meantime? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. Ross, what's the concern about how industrial action will impact Londoners into the winter, particularly with that grim intersection with inflation and energy prices? Essentially, the issue here goes to the heart of restoring the economy following the pandemic. Will people get back to work? Do they need to come to the office or not? If they want to come to the office, can they get there? And at what cost to them to get back to the office? There's one train of thought which says actually the soaring fuel costs will mean that people no longer want to put the central heating on if Every day throughout the winter and would rather head into the office and stay warm there than run up an extra 20 quid a day or whatever it is on their gas bill at home. The issue that Network Rail has and the rail industry as a whole has is that if people through a changing sort of pattern of work decide only to work three days a week or less in the office, then its revenues go down and then eventually will struggle to run as many services. So there's that issue as well and therefore people are not moving about. You know, it's a sort of this small amounts of money being spent that if somebody's no longer coming into Euston or Paddington, they're possibly not buying that coffee at Costa or Starbucks on the way in and not popping into Marks and Spencers at lunchtime. And, you know, they, they say that possibly about 20 quid a day would be spent by people on incidental items. It just helps to keep the economy turning. So that really is the wider issue that if Network Rail does not get passenger numbers back to 100% on the railways, then it will struggle to run 100% of services the following year. The problem for RMT members is as well that its members are losing money when they go on strike. It does have a hardship fund that it replaces the wages of some of its staff. But it's a quite a pricey thing for members to do to go out on strike. You know, today is the sixth strike day on the National Railways, five for RMT members, one for ASLEF members who went on strike last Saturday. And the other thing to bear in mind from the perspective of passengers, as you say, it's a huge nuisance and inconvenience if they turn up to get a train and can't get one. What's the current negotiating position between Network Rail and the unions? Is there much talk happening? The perception, I think, around this is that both sides are at loggerheads and not talking. But what Mick Lynch said to me today, actually, is that they're talking each day. And he was giving vaguely optimistic signs that actually both sides understood each other's issues and that a deal could be done if they could get a bit closer. However, according to the RMT, it's the government that is preventing network rail from striking a deal and also then preventing these private train companies from striking a deal. So the RMT suspects sort of political foul play here. But both sides are talking. They have been talking for some time. However, network rail seem to be quite adamant that the deal they put on the table back in July 
is their sort of best and final offer. What have commuters been telling the Standard about how these strikes are impacting their usual journeys? From passengers that the Evening Standard spoke to this morning, there seemed to be, shall we say, a bit of a lack of sympathy for the RMT's cause. One person we spoke to at Liverpool Street Station said, I'm a nurse and we only got offered 4%, so the union seemed to have got a pretty good deal. And another passenger we spoke to at Tottenham Hill, who was trying to get the Stansted Express service to go on holiday, uh, said that the strikes just seemed to be a never-ending story. So I think there's frustration and uh, some sense that, yes, things are far from perfect in terms of inflation, but the perception is that the offer on the table for the union may not keep up with the highest rate of inflation, but it's not a bad one and one that possibly many Londoners would be quite happy to accept themselves. What's the government's position on this? Well, in terms of what the government has been doing, Grant Sharps overnight has issued a 16-point plan to try and prevent these strikes happening. Essentially, he was looking to introduce a cooling off period before strikes could take place. And he is also suggesting that there need to be more ballots uh, before strikes can go ahead. Essentially, all the unions have to do is to win a mandate or win a majority support for a strike in a ballot. And that ballot's effectiveness lasts for six months. What Grant Chaps is essentially indicating is that that is too long and that if they want to have a ballot, uh, say, in July and then want to have another one in November, that would be legal just now, but he would look to reduce that so perhaps they'd have to ballot again if they want to keep coming back. And where's the mayor? What's Sadiq Khan's position on the strikes? Well, where is Sadiq Khan? Well, where he is not is on the picket lines. He was asked about this last week and he did say that he would go on the picket lines, but he was too busy to go to go there, which is a, a rather splendid answer in terms of sitting on the fence and getting a very sore bottom. I think it's up there with the best. But tomorrow we have another tube strike. So that's the RMT taking action against Sadiq Khan and TFL. I asked Sadiq about this earlier this week. He said that he wanted the RMT to work with London and be on the side of Londoners and essentially work with City Hall and TfL to argue against the government and to try and get a good financial deal for TfL, which she said would alleviate the need for various changes at TfL, which the union is objecting to. Sadiq is essentially riding two horses at the same time. He's in a difficult position because he's got the government squeezing him on one side and he's got the unions, who's naturally sympathetic to, squeezing him on the other. He described the RMT and their members as heroes for all the work we did during the pandemic and keeping TfL going. Obviously, it's important to remember that more than 100 transport staff in London lost their lives during the pandemic, and that is always on Sadiq's mind. And with this planned tube strike on Friday, do you have any more data on the economic impact of industrial action on Transport for London's coffers? Each tube strike day tends to lose transport for London around £5 million in fares income. I think the reality, though, of it being tomorrow will be a feeling of, thank God it's Friday, because their passenger numbers on a Friday are always lower than in midweek. So TfL are probably grateful that it's happening on a Friday and not on a Wednesday, uh, because it won't lose as much money as it might otherwise do. But yes, this is damaging. But both Network Rail and TfL admit that changing work patterns mean that these strikes don't inconvenience people or damage the economy quite as much as they would have done three or four years ago. There's more on this story in the Evening Standard newspaper and online at standard.co.uk. That's The Leader. We're back on Friday at 4pm.
Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.